The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning, everyone. Very glad to be here with you this morning. And I was um, very inspired by um, the, over the years, by Andrea's instructions. Um, This Utejaniya style of practice of awareness in daily life and coming back to awareness throughout the day has become a real mainstay for me. Um, Every time I come back to awareness, noticing what's present, what am I aware of, is so helpful. The the one one, um, thing that's said about mindfulness is mindfulness mainly remembering, remembering to be aware, remembering to come back to awareness. So today I'd actually like to pick up where Andrea left off um, back in July when she gave a talk about the paramis. The paramis are virtues that we can develop that help us counteract the tide of greed, aversion, and delusion that underlie our suffering, stress, and dissatisfaction. And though that bundle of suffering, stress, and dissatisfaction um, is often called dukkha in Pali. So sometimes people just use the word dukkha. But these virtues, or sometimes they're called the ten perfections, or paramis, are generally, um, they are these ten, generosity, ethics or non-harming conduct, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, which Shelley referred to as determination when she gave a talk about that parami recently, loving kindness, and equanimity. So I'm going to devote today's talk to talking about one of those virtues, Um, one that's called the path to fulfillment by Ajahn Suchito, who wrote a book about these uh, 10 perfections entitled The Paramis, Ways to Cross Life's Floods. And that's free to download online at his website. The particular parami I'd like to explore with you, uh, you know, this path to fulfillment counteracts greed, the idea that we have to have something different than we've got in order to come to freedom or to be happy. It counteracts the idea that we have to be different than we already are. It counteracts this current of aversion, the idea that we won't be happy until we get rid of some problem or unwanted situation or trait in our lives. So this virtue that we're going to explore helps us see the delusion embedded in all of those. And um, it can lead to the fulfillment of our underlying goals for practice. 
And I realize people have many different underlying goals. You know, maybe it's to be more calm. Maybe it's to overcome stress. Maybe it's to be happier in your life. Maybe it's just you're experimenting with mindfulness out of curiosity. But this virtue can help us because increasingly it will bring us to more happiness, more freedom from suffering, stress, and dissatisfaction. This this bundle of greed, aversion, and delusion that's the root of our difficulty can lose its grip on us. So what virtue is it that I'm talking about? It usually goes by the somewhat misleading name of renunciation. And the reason I say that's a little misleading is because to uh, our ears, sometimes that word carries connotations of deprivation, denial, asceticism, or even ignoring healthy needs. But this parami is none of those things. So instead, the way I'm going to refer to it um, is something that Ajahn Suchito uh, teaches, giving up a lesser good for a greater good. Or another way of putting it is moving from the mindset of scarcity to the fulfilled mind state. In fact, I'll take the radical position right now that it will not work to force yourself to give up a habit, to give up something you're constantly craving or pushing away, until the day comes that you truly know that you're trading a lesser good for a greater one. And that's not just that you think it's a good idea. It's when the day comes that the natural action is to move towards something more fulfilling that is a greater good or more wholesome for you. So instead of depriving yourself, you're just making a natural movement towards fulfillment. If you just try to force yourself to give up a habit, you know, has anybody ever tried to do that? I bet most of us have. A habit that we think is a bad habit or unhelpful, if we try to give it up prematurely before we've really understood and integrated into heart, mind, and body how it's been working and how it doesn't work, we'll inevitably just land back at craving or aversion or delusion again and again. The habit will just resurface and resurface. This can be so frustrating when, you know, we think we're trying to overcome a bad habit and we're trying to do it by bootstrapping ourselves through it. And we just keep bouncing back and doing it again, despite our best intentions. Um, Even though some part of us knows that it ultimately won't help us. The old habit has such an allure or insistence. Um, we There's some part of us that over time has been conditioned to believe that it will feel better. And so we're pulled into it again and again. We're stuck on what's called the wheel of samsara or the wheel of suffering. And we get disappointed in ourselves or in others, if if the habit is about others, um, over and over again. So we'll we'll go back to these habits um, and repeat uh, conditioned behaviors and repeat them and repeat them until we fully penetrate how we thought they were supposed to work and then come to know that in an, in an integrated and embodied, you know, like known way that they don't help us. 
So, for example, when we think we have to have something that we currently lack, we can see, we can, if we look at this, we can see there's an underlying view or assumption that getting something else will help solve or ease our difficulty. A really strange twist about this is that it's the difficulty or suffering itself that stimulates this delusion that there's something we lack. So it's kind of the opposite of what we, the way we think it works. So dukkha, the state of suffering, is giving rise to craving and clinging and the old habit of reaching for something else or pushing something away follows. So I'll give some examples. And these, some may be pretty obvious. So let's say you've had a rough day at work or um, caregiving or whatever, however it is you spend your time. You've had a difficult day. And maybe you have a habit of reaching for junk food um, to self-soothe or having a drink, uh, something like that. So the thought occurs, I'll just pick some up in the, at the store on the way home. Or I'll go to the store and get some. So you start craving that as the solution to your stress. There's some belief inside that'll, that'll feel better um, or that'll help me relax. So the craving builds and builds and you think it goes away as you're actually eating the junk food or having the drink. But if you become able to watch it more mindfully over time, you come to realize that it's the craving itself that is adding to the stress. You had stress to begin with, and then craving adds more and more and more until you feel it so strongly that you almost have this compulsion to go do this uh, sense pleasure, whatever it is, and thinking, you know, that'll feel better, that'll be fun. And you come to realize over time that the relief comes not when you indulge in the sense pleasure, um, actually eating the food or taking the drink, but it actually comes the minute your hands are on the thing in the store, or it comes when you pay for it and leave the store. There's a relaxation in the body, and you haven't even eaten it. So eating it or drinking it is not what's soothing you. It's the end of craving. But um, you know, the fact that craving is temporarily relaxed doesn't help because with these kind of entrenched habits, whatever they are, later um, remorse sets in often if we, if we don't like the habit. Um, we become disappointed in ourselves because we've succumbed. Um, a more subtle way that this might happen um, is that Maybe we think, you know, we, we have a cell phone or we have our computer open and emails are coming in or texts are coming in. We think, you know, I'll just answer this one. Oh, and here's another. I'll just answer that and I'll answer that. No, you know, as soon as I get these done, I'll, I'll be able to relax or I'll be able to get on with my day. And it's possible to chew up hours doing that and then to go, what happened to my time? You know, so we have this reaction of, you know, if I, if I just, go ahead and take care of this it will relax me but in in actually it starts to crank us up even more the same pattern can occur with an aversive habit so let's say when stress builds up in you or or you're um, experiencing dissatisfaction it comes out in irritability with other people in your lives or maybe you unleash your anger in the car or at home even without thinking, 
the underlying belief of the habit is that venting the irritation, um, expressing it will offer you relief from the stress. This used to be a whole theory years ago in therapy. Um, my older sister was taught, you know, to, to let that anger out. But so at first, I, when I was a young adult, I tried that. But what I discovered over time with mindfulness was the more I vented, the more angry I felt. So it actually had the opposite effect. And it, it was clinging to the irritation or the anger that was contributing to my stress. So one of the things we can explore with old habits we know aren't serving us well, whether they're greed, aversion, is what beliefs or views are underlying that habit? What's fueling it? What's the belief under eating uh, junk food to self-soothe? One idea is eating this will make me feel better. What belief is under that? I'm feeling uncomfortable and, you know, having a treat will feel fun. What belief might be under that? It could come down to, I feel unfulfilled and maybe I can fill myself up with something else. What might be under that? Maybe I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing well enough. So this can be a worthwhile exploration to simply peel back view after view and look at one's what's underneath. Now, we don't have to dig. We can just use this, what am I aware of practice, whenever something's coming up. And each time we drop in, what am I aware of? Over time, as we explore whatever the thing we're clinging to or the thing we're pushing away, over time, these things can reveal themselves gradually. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm doing this because I I don't like this job. Or I'm doing this because I think that uh, if I vent and let people know I'm upset, it will give me more control or more power or they'll, they'll listen to me. So by gradually bringing mindfulness and awareness to these underlying views, we can ask, you know, what the really deepest idea behind this is. Sometimes, you know, for example, in the case of uh, some of these ideas, uh, what we come down to is I'm lacking something. Is that wholesome or unwholesome? You know, the idea that I'm lacking something or I need something else is reinforcing the idea that we are not okay as we are or that our life is not okay as it is. So it reinforces our identification with the okay self or the okay life and the not okay self and the not okay life. And it keeps us stuck bouncing between the poles of that dichotomy. I'm always either judging myself or others or life as okay, not okay, okay, not okay. That's really, you know, being stuck. So I would call that a delusion because as we investigate this, with, you know, as we bring these different virtues that mindfulness practice helps develop, such as truthfulness or kindness, or if even if we bring more objectivity, over time, a different perspective might emerge. And that is, things are as they are right now because of the conditions that led up to this moment. 
I am the way I am because prior conditions led to this way of being. If I condition myself to self-soothe with junk food time and again, or if I was given sweets as a little kid when I was upset, and that became a habit as an adult of giving myself sweets when I'm upset, um, those condition this moment. So things are as they are. It makes sense how they are right now. It's not okay or not okay. It's just how they are. I think Andrea talked about that, too, uh, recently, things as they are. So meditation and mindfulness practice in daily life give us this great gift of exploration. And it's what you've been practicing this whole time, the fundamental skill. What am I aware of? And just feeling the discomfort of some habits and then feeling that they in some moments, they can become more clarified, and we are clearly seeing them with mindfulness. The more we approach these things with curiosity, the more an insight can bubble up spontaneously, and th- and things start to shift naturally over time from the lesser good to the greater good. So, for example, we cannot unknow it <laughs> once we know it. That, uh, you know, if we mindfully see a conditioned habit of trying to make ourselves feel better by venting, and we watch the habit over time, and we indulge in it, and we let the aversive feelings go ahead and convince us to vent, we may discover that it's never satisfying for very long. Venting leads to more stress. It, uh, can upset things in our relationships, and then we have other problems. So sometimes after being aware, what am I aware of again and again, and being mindful and letting the insights bubble up over time, one day we we recognize that the pursuit of sense pleasures or venting is exhausting, and it doesn't solve the problem of greed, aversion, and delusion. It doesn't help our relationships with others or ourselves. It only tends to make us cling to those as go-to behaviors more and more. Um, but what happens is as the, as we let go of that or it lets go of us, um, we start to naturally incline towards more peaceful or more skillful, more wholesome behaviors. So this pursuit of the lesser good may not come up for you in the more obvious forms I'm describing. It might be really subtle. It might be that the stress you experience is that somehow, you know, life is going okay, but your mindfulness practice lacks something. You know, you're just searching for something that's going to make things change. So fill in the blank. I'll be free of suffering if X is true in my meditation. You know, fill in that blank. I'll be free of suffering if I have this in meditation. Maybe we think we haven't yet had a certain meditative experience we're supposed to have. Maybe we're comparing ourselves to other meditators. When we hear them talk about their meditation, we think, wait a minute, I've never experienced that. Maybe I'm missing something. Or we listen to the teachers and we think, huh, well, I'm certainly not there yet. And we think we're supposed to go through things the way they they went through them. Or we might have the experience when we're meditating that we think we shouldn't, they should, these things shouldn't be happening. Discomfort, pain in the body, 
keeps distracting us, emotions keep surfacing and roiling us a bit, or thoughts, it's obvious or subtle, thinking keeps happening. But maybe you've heard Andrea say that mindfulness is like this beautiful mirror. It doesn't care what it mirrors. It just reflects what's going on. So mindfulness can allow for anything. You know, if you think about it right now, are you aware of the sound of my voice? Huh? Are you aware that you're aware of the sound of my voice? My guess is most of you would answer yes. And if that's true, you already have everything you need in order to be spectacularly successful at meditation and to unfold into freedom from suffering. Even just that. So rather than lacking anything, you have this amazing human capacity to be aware. Were there any moments during today's meditation that you were aware of something in your experience? Aware of a sensation in the body, a sound being received, an awareness of an, of an emotion or a feeling of pleasant or unpleasant? Were you aware at any time that you had been thinking and now you were back? Or you were aware while you were thinking? I'm guessing that some of those happened. And those are exactly the same experiences and abilities that everyone, even the most accomplished, realized, liberated monk out there has who is successful with meditation and liberation. So far from lacking something, you have this abundance of ability to be aware. And as you keep uh, cultivating that and applying that in daily life, every time you remember it, and in meditation, over time, we discover more and more about our dissatisfactions. And we discover more and more about the greater goods, you know, the more peace, more calm, more insight. So we can practice with anything. And returning to this exploration of giving up a lesser good for a greater good, we can also try out some of the things um, that Andrea recommended in her talk about the paramis. So one that, that she gave that I love and I'd recommend as a starting point is when is it easy to give up a lesser good for something more fulfilling or a greater good? What are, you know, as people get into this mindfulness practice, a lot of people report, you know, when I've talked to even beginning students, they've said they noticed some old habits are naturally falling away or some things are falling away that, that just change without their even trying. So, um, maybe that's happened for you. So one thing people share is that they find themselves simplifying their lives. Maybe they, uh, people, some people stop, uh, pursuing as many forms of entertainment. They discover the comforts of a peaceful, more, uh, easeful and less busy life. And they don't go back to their prior level of activity. A busyness, I'll say, falls away and is no longer interesting. Um, some people report that their relationships improve as they stop finding themselves in conflict. They stop judging themselves or other people as much and compassion starts to grow. And they notice, wow, I don't know what I did, but somehow I'm getting along better with people in my life. 
So I'm wondering what are some of the other natural movements towards greater good from a lesser good that you ex- you've experienced through meditation or through mindfulness in daily life? Um, you know, one greater good that we've moved towards today is taking the time out to meditate together. You know, we're supporting each other. We're enjoying uh, the meditation practice, whatever it, however it felt, even if it was tough. And we're exploring one of the uh, virtues or strengths that can come. One fantastically satisfying uh, thing that I found a few years ago when I was researching, um, I was planning to move and I needed to downsize, is um, I, instead of, you know, I noticed over the years that whenever I organized a cleanup, for example, at some organizations I worked for, when people would clean the space and reorganize the space, the temptation after they got tired was to just start throwing stuff away. And I would always collecting it and stuffing it into my car to find some place to donate it. And when I uh, downsized to move, I found it was terrifically, instead of feeling burdened, which I could have by the accretion of too much stuff over decades in my home, um, it was such a joy to discover the generosity of finding places to donate everything. I could donate all my husband's old t-shirts and jeans and belts to a men's homeless shelter. I discovered there was an organization in the East Bay that took houseplants that others could then adopt. Um, I found all my cleaning supplies were wanted and needed by somebody who cleaned houses for a living. Um, A domestic violence shelter, one of those little bottles of travel shampoo, conditioner, and soap that my husband accumulated in years of business travel. So downsizing was a time when it was easy to trade the lesser good of frustration at all this stuff for the greater good of finding homes for all of it. And this is an example, too, of how one of these paramis reinforces another. So I let go of these possessions and needing to keep them around just in case and um, move towards the greater good of generosity and kindness. And those felt great. So, you know, how about Andrea's advice that we can overcome aversion towards a difficult person by giving them some kind of gift? What if we were to use that principle to move towards a better relationship by giving up the lesser good, the lesser state of critiquing everything that they're doing and, you know, how wrong it is towards the greater good of imagining how painful some of the behaviors that they have um, are for the person who's uh, difficult to deal with. I've started to see with compassion how some people who feel oppositional or resistant or just, you know, make everything seem so hard are actually suffering quite a lot. And that's giving a lesser, you know, set of things of critiquing and knowing how wrong this is to a greater good of giving some compassion and some space for what's going on inside them. Um, so we can give, and, you know, I'm starting to find it really fun to notice this all day, every day. So we give up the lesser good of getting where we are going in a hurry to the greater good of in crowded 
highway traffic of letting someone who's signaling go ahead of us. We let go of the, the lesser good of efficiently moving through our day quite speedily to the greater good of taking a few moments to ask how someone's doing and really listen to their answer, even a stranger. So I recommend this, this really rewarding practice, which goes by the awful name of renunciation, uh, and thinking of it as letting go of the lesser good and uh, naturally flowing towards greater good. But this rewarding practice of first looking throughout your day for all the ways that you naturally give up something lesser for a greater good throughout each day, because I guarantee you that you do. And it reinforces this virtue of that, you know, there are things that we can relinquish naturally when we've become aware of how something else is more wholesome. And that can come back around and be applied to some of the habits we would like to change, whether they're in the direction of aversion or greed. So I hope that this was of help to each of you. And um, I welcome any questions, comments, um, experiences you've had. Uh, I, I really love to hear. And I think w- as you share that, you'll be benefiting the entire group. So um, we'll do a 15-minute session like that, and I'll record it. And then also I want to let you know I'll hang out for 15 minutes after the official end of this in case you want to share something uh, additional or ask something additional. But for now, um, if we can share with each other, feel free that we're a small group, so feel free to unmute yourself um, since we have people on the phone as well. Um, unmute yourself when you're ready to ask something or share something about this whole process of craving and clinging and letting go into something better or anything else that happened in your meditation, by the way, (laughs) there might've been other things that came up today. Hi, Kate. Yes. Sorry, my camera has just disappeared. But anyway, you can hear me okay. Definitely can hear you and can see you. Oh, right. Because mine, mine's gone blank, but not to worry. Um, yes, I am. Um, in terms of giving up um, a lesser pleasure, I notice sometimes um, in meditation and, and also in, in, um, in, in just in my daily life that sometimes... Um, I can find my mind ruminating on things that have happened in the past, uh, painful things or things that have upset me. And I know that there's actually no um, no good that's going to come out of it. Um, they're sort of um, paths that don't lead anywhere except to um, distress. But at the same time, there is still some little kind of, sense 
of wanting wanting to wanting to pursue it and look at it again and and make myself unhappy <laughs> um and i am gradually very very slowly um really feeling rather than knowing the um the realization that um it is for my own welfare to actually stop like a red light and not go down these well-worn paths and actually come into the body or um maybe wish myself well um it's just um just something that that um kind of has happened gra- gradually and, and and I still I still can find myself back in these uh kind of uh, dusty places but it's it's kind of something I'm I'm working on mm-hmm. yeah wonderful thank you for sharing that and it is so interesting that um you, by bringing awareness to it over time you're seeing actually that it's painful <laughs> you're seeing what the effect is on the body and there are many times in this practice that after hanging out with these patterns maybe it's rumination or something else that keeps arising and arising, um, as we're more and more mindful or aware, we sometimes look at it and we go, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. And then it may come back again. So, you know, it takes time. But that that's really a wonderful description of how uh, coming into the body and feeling it in the body and just working with it over time, being aware of its effects over time, that's a really good example of exploring how something doesn't work or what doesn't feel good about it. Or so, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. What else came up for you? Hi, this is Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hi, I don't have my video on, but, um, you know, just talking about renunciation, um, I've often thought of the whole process of meditation as being a form of renunciation when I let go of you know, the ruminating mind, which is so, you know, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's what I normally do. And for me, meditation of sort of letting go of that for the greater good of awareness and really being present in the world, I've often thought of that. And, and sometimes it's, you know, a little bit hard for me to let go of, you know, I want to think about this or that, but yeah, I really enjoyed your talk. I mean, renunciation is something that I'm just delighted when somebody talks about it because I think it's the cause of so much happiness in my life if I can just, you know, that lesser good, greater good. And I, I just gave up drinking too. And it was not that I drank that much or whatever, but it was a definite um, move toward that greater good. And mm-hmm. 
I really resonate with that. Wonderful. Yeah. And I, I think that's brilliant that you're pointing out that often our meditation practice itself is a letting go of a lesser good for a greater good. You know, some mornings I really don't think I don't want to sit down. <laughs> you know, I have restlessness and I want to jump around and get everything done. And I remind myself that the day is going to go so much better and I'm going to feel so much better if I sit with whatever it is, even if it's, you know, just watching thinking happening. Um, but generally, um, oftentimes the trend is, you know, that uh, a state like that gives way during the meditation to a more helpful state. So, for example, this morning when I came into our session, I had a lot of excess physical energy and emotional energy because I'd just gotten off the phone in a conversation where somebody told me uh, something that, that had been misrepresented about me. <laughs> Someone had thought that I was doing X and I really hadn't been doing it. And so I had all this energy. And as I sat in meditation, it just gently gave way. You know, I recognized it. I hung out with it and it gave way to a calmer energy, a more relaxed energy. So, yes. And it is so amazing sometimes that these natural choices emerge. Um, for example, I know so many people that meditate for a while. This happened to me and spontaneously um, started eating more vegetarian food, just naturally. Um, and my understanding was, you know, it was better for me, but it turned out to be better for my body and better for the planet in some ways in that plant foods might have been more energy efficient or cost less to produce or, but anyway, that just happened naturally. I didn't plan it. I didn't try to do it. It just gave way. So thanks, Joanne. And I saw um, somebody had their hand up before. I think it was Diana. Um, I'm wrestling with, I, I love this topic. Thank you. Um, I have a lifelong habit from childhood of not putting away a piece of paper. I will put it down and it will sit there in, in the exact same place for months unless I have to move it. This went on into it. And so it can pile up. Um, I know through inquiry and, and through my practice, it's possibly early karma, karma may relates to, to looking for attention or there's some, something, but I, I'm not sure I can necessarily know the deep underlying thing that what went on then and what went on with my mother, all this stuff, um, but I've been listening to you today, and I've been listening recently. What about, and this this simple habit causes great remorse over time, because I know where things are, and my house is not messy. I don't put things where, where, where it's that obvious, except there are places where things pile up, and I kind of know where things are, but there's a burden and having to look for that document. I kind of know it's in the corner there and like this, and I think it's so like that. And But there's a deeper burden of something is burdening me about not putting something in its place. 
whatever that is. Then, and it's still there. And and I, I moving houses, it's still there like that. But then the other idea came, just accept your idiosyncrasy. What about, these are just things we have and allow it to be. And that's a, that seems to be enough that I hear people, teachers talk about. Uh, are accepting our neuroses, our, our idiosyncrasies, or whatever. And so one idea is, is, what if I just keep up and just keep practicing with it in some of the inquiry that you were offering this morning about and maybe going through this one more cycle or period of time, and maybe something may release uh, because it's not just the leaving the thing there. There's something else. And there's no one around to correct me. It's not that. Right, and right. For what, or I just, just let it be and laugh at it and learn to laugh at it. And, and, I'm, I kind of, and I'm stuck in a suffering. Mm-hmm. There's something that's causing a suffering. And it's just papers and documents. And I've got my ex, only three, four years of, I, I don't hoard paper that way, but. Uh, and I do something, I do things correctly, but it's, there's this thing about not picking, about putting something down when I was a child. I don't mean to talk too much, but, um, uh, my side of the room was messy. I would put something down and I left it there Mm -hmm. rather than putting the thing away. Mm -hmm. And now these days I put many things away, but there are things I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It gets into procrastinations, the burdens. And in, in some of this, I'm gathering, I'm not alone in this. I know more people who have this, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, hard to, it's hard to describe the burden of not. I, I think I'm getting it. I, I think, you know, um, you're, you're actually on to several things here. And one is um, you're feeling the burden some nature of it you know you're noticing it's Mm -hmm. causing suffering it's causing stress and um you're also you you raised early on that sometimes we may not have to know all the whys and wherefores in fact sometimes a habit can release into something else like laughing at and just going hey you know those are the conditions that are as they are and um i'm going to uh be fine just as i am like, you know, this is a thought experiment everyone can try on right now. What if we're just great, just the way we are? You know, and all we need notice is, okay, this is how things are. This is how I feel when papers pile up. That's one avenue that you've discovered. And the other avenue is it is possible that more insight may bubble up over time. And it may come when you least expect it even, you know, sometimes when we hang out with these things and we just feel with mindful awareness, wow, this is nagging at me. This is burdening with burdening me. We go along that way for a while. And one day, you know, something pops, some, some insight comes. So thank you so much, Diana, for sharing that. Because I think that, you know, this practice encompasses that kind of daily life thing that just, you know, gently hammers at us, as well as big, big things and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and things that are even much more subtle than that can affect us. And so, um, 
by hanging with this practice of awareness of what's happening as we watch that, um, things often will transition. We don't know when. And in fact, it's good not to have an agenda as to when that has to happen, because sometimes it happens bang, and sometimes it takes a long time. So really appreciate your sharing today. Thank you. Uh, you didn't give me a ready answer. So <laughs> Right, right. And, and you know, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep... Uh, looking at it you know I heard you say for example that you were aware that when you were a child your side of the room got piled up and things didn't get put away so that implies there was another side of the room where things were put away and I'm hearing that somewhere along the line there might have been a message everything has to be put away so I'll, I'll share with you you know who knows I'll, I'll share with you that my uh, spouse has a, a a very unique filing system. <laughs> things things would pile on his floor until they were very high. And at yeah. one point, I threatened to you know those museum display stands where people keep sculptures in museums. I threatened to have some of those made, and I just slide it over each stack and put a label on the top, you know, a museum tag. Yeah. But what was interesting is he knew exactly in that stack where something was he could go find a document from you know two years ago and he'd know that it was like five inches off the floor and so i learned wow you know that's not my method of organization but that worked for him so life can surprise us and you know sometimes somebody else's answers just don't fit for us so we can just keep looking and wow, I'm you, you, thank you. I'm aware that it's already uh, nine forty. I mean, yeah, nine forty six Pacific time, ten forty six where I am. So I want to invite everybody uh, to be able to unmute and say bye to each other, but also anyone who wants to stay afterwards is welcome to stay. So thank you all so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you, and have a great day. Thank you, Liz. thank you, Liz. Great to see you. Thank 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 you.